Well, Jay, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little cooped up here. It's time. Uh, it's time for a move. I think get some uh, some space, some bigger yard, that kind of thing. What do you think? You are really gonna move, but like that's like that's a big deal. Like you can't do it that. It is a big deal. You're, you're scared to even leave your living room. <laughs> it's a. It seem what seems like a big deal moving isn't when you use the right people. You can use these sell your own home situations where you're you're bartering with a guy in your driveway for 45 minutes and you end up selling for $3 or you can use a professional that makes moving actually simple. Who are we going to use? But the problem is obviously Tom, but my worry is like you're so far, you're in Orleans. Tom will come to Orleans, he'll go to Russell, he'll go to Clarence Creek, he'll go to west of the Westie Village, wherever it is out there. <laughs> he'll go anywhere for you and make that experience that you were talking about of nervous or a lot of work, make it seem like nothing. Bastion and Ferguson will literally smooth out the easiest move of your life. Wow, even in Orleans, I just can't get over that. Yeah, once you hit 10th line, 11th line, 14th line, he's still coming. He's driving in his brand new Dodge Caravan, carries his family around in, will sell your home. That's what I'm looking for, an easy ride with Bastion and Ferguson. Look them up, he's gonna sell you quick and easy. Julian de Guzman, out of 10, how good was the food buffet in the Fury Executive Box? Out of 10, the food buffet in the Fury Executive Box. Yeah. Uh, I would, you know what? I've been to a lot of, a lot, a lot of uh, events and suites, and uh, I, I would give that a, a, a solid 7.5. Wow. All right. Steve, given all your years of service to the Fury and the PDL when we worked there, did you able to to reach the heights of getting to that Fury executive and tasting that 7.5 food? I did. I you would, did. I did. I would probably go, I would have gone like, now I love that he used a 0.5. I think that's genius. I'd go 8.5. Cause like I wow. probably didn't taste as many buffets as him. So for yeah, me, it was like, yeah. you know, a little higher. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Julian de Guzman is our guest today. No need for an introduction, but I'll do it anyway. For those of you that, uh, Really shouldn't be listening if you don't know who Julian Guzman <laughs> is, but whatever. He's the most capped player in the Canadian national team history. Played at the highest levels of soccer for over 12 years in Europe, MLS, NASL. Um, Deportivo La Coruña. I got to say it right because I killed Maritamo in the Bunbury episode. I kept saying Maritamo. Yeah. So I'm going to whip an accent on the Coruña. You were player of the year there in 2008. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So that means you're a player of the year in like the best league in the world for a team. Unbelievable. Given that, and I was saying to Steve offline, this is what makes this weird is that you're, you're so like connected to Canadian soccer and to like your roots and you're, you're humble that you still are growing Canadian soccer and sitting down with two idiots right now. So thank you so much. Like literally you're like a legend. So thank you for that for us. Oh, thank you. And I mean, I think you forgot to include myself as a third idiot. So, I mean, we're, we're just, all right. We just love the game that much. That's, <laughs> yeah, awesome. that's, that's what we, that's uh, that's what we want here. It's a, it's perfect. It's like three idiots and Vic Router called Steve an idiot when we interviewed him. So that was legendary. <laughs> you don't have to keep promoting that part, Mark. <laughs> I love it. I, I'm, I'm sure you know, I'm being Canadian, uh, Julian. And like, I tried to get him to do his Bunbury call. Oh, like, <laughs> I lived for that Bunbury call and he just was like, no, like, who do you think I am? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I mean, you got, yeah, the, I remember the Mobilio and the Pesci Shalito and yeah. that, was, that was classic stuff. Yeah, <laughs> classic. He was, he was just a different level. Yeah. So I'm going to start from the beginning. You, Steve and I, we're all kind of still involved in youth coaching where we coach right now. And I want to know like about your beginnings in North Scarborough, like, when me and Steve were growing up, we've talked to a hundred times. Like we had a British coach. He made us eat a sausage and run through a wall. I mean, yeah. that was our development growing up. Right. Um, was it different in uh, North Scarborough? Like, did you, what did you have in terms of development? Uh, well, the, the moment I got into North Scarborough, I mean, that, that started from the uh, ages of 13. And that's when um, at that point in my, my, my time in growing up in Scarborough, I started to take the game serious where I wanted to uh, go to go to Europe as opposed to where my parents wanted me to go which which was uh, take the scholarship route so from 13 onward I had to prove to, to them that this is this is the, the love of my life and um, you know fortunately I was able to work under a coach who uh, had sent players previously to, to universities his name was Patrick Haddad and uh, you know he's done a, a great job developing players uh, you know under his guidance and uh, we had a chance to have him as a coach at, at North Scarborough. So from 13 and onwards, that's when uh, I, I really wanted to, uh, to, to, to live a dream and go to Europe. And then I would say the first two, two years, I mean, I was a, a part of the provincial program um, under Gary Miller, uh, you know, rest his soul, and then uh, Dave Benning. Uh, so these were the guys I started off with uh, in the 13s and then 14s, and then they had the uh, – uh, tryouts for their 17 men's national team uh, which I got cut from and the uh, same it was the same year when Hargraves got cut as well uh, yeah. can I can we ask who 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 cut you and Hargraves can we get his name on the record here <laughs> <laughs> you look easy uh, his, I, I want to say I mean obviously he was the coach of the time so Tony Tony Taylor yeah uh, okay. he was the, uh, the under 17 coach for, for that that men's so, team. So we know Tony Taylor will never work again in Canada. So uh, <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you know what? I don't know. Is he still working? I don't think. I, I'm not sure. I think I think he's retired now. Yeah. I can't believe at 13 you were already driven to go to Europe, eh? Well, I w I was a that was 94 if I remember. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So that was getting that was leading up to the World Cup in the U.S. And uh, my favorite player. Um, leading up to that world cup was Romario. Um, so he became my idol um, and just would follow 
wherever he went. And then that's how I became a Barcelona fan actually since 94. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ever, ever since then, that's when that, that was one part that inspired me, but the biggest part was my brother. Um, and you know, at the time he was hitting around six years old and around six or seven. And that's when I pretty much treated him no different than my, my teammates of, of my age. And he would even train with our, our, our team at times. Huh. And, um, we always had him playing at a higher age because I knew he was the talent, you know, be, be, you know, and yeah. he was up to the uh, kind of, I would say the secret recipe to my career huh. and, and pushing myself to go to Europe to show it to him. Europe's Europe's the Avenue, not, uh, not, not school. So that was implemented to him from very young. Yeah. And, and then as I pushed myself, even though getting cut from the 17 national team, still pushed myself to, to, to push for Europe. And then eventually by 15 went to uh holland with um uh, a buddy of mine that i uh, that was probably the most talented player in ontario caesar pena uh-huh. he was scouted by fine order of rotterdam uh-huh. and uh, they wanted him to come out to uh, uh their their uh, their team and then i followed him and then we just trained with a trainer before even getting to the team yeah. just to assess us and then he ended up going because he was that good but then for me they said no you still need time so um I, I, for me, it didn't work out at 15, but then uh, going back to 16, the year after that, um, it was kind of the same incentive that my parents offered me from grade nine going to grade 10. They said, if you still get your honor rolls, then we'll give you another chance to go to Europe. And huh. I was able to get my honor rolls again, grade 10. And then, uh, and then uh, I had the chance to go to France. There was a tryout that was in Marseille. And then two weeks in Marseille, and then two weeks in Paris. And then I uh, went to Marseille and then that was it. I, I, I stayed there, and then that's how my career here started. I, got, I, have a, I have a few questions. I see obviously some commonalities with, with most people's stories. You know, like not everybody just makes every single team and goes through unblemished. There's all the setbacks. You had the U17 setback, and you had the Feyenoord setback. And, like, so obviously resiliency, I think some of that stuff's, I wouldn't say beaten to death, but it's it's a very a lot of commonalities. What I was really interested in is when you talk about your brother, like I think you usually hear the – the stereotype of the older brother drives the younger brother and all this stuff. Like you're, you're crediting him a little bit in your development. I find that kind of fascinating. Like what, I mean, maybe speak to that a little more, but what else would have, what are, what developmentally in Canada helped you get over there? Yeah, it was, a, it was an odd time in Canada for soccer and you know, mm-hmm. what we're seeing today. And um, I think the big thing that, uh, that motivated myself and actually him as well was the fact that uh you know we were just brought up into soccer in the soccer world since i was five my brother started playing soccer since he was three yeah and uh you know my dad had pushed me initially uh leading up to the 13 and then seeing what my dad did for me i've always told myself man and by by the time i was 15 i already told at 15 i told myself i've missed out on so much in soccer now that i learned about players from Scarborough and Toronto who went to Europe, yeah, came back because they were homesick. Yeah, because they were, uh, uh, you know, they missed their girlfriends, they missed their moms, they missed their cookings, they don't speak the language. All of these things that I, I, I would hear why these guys would come back would, would have me, in, in such big disappointment. One, but also yeah, curious yeah. to know, is is Canada that much important to stay here and not live your dream? Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I made it, I made sure for not just for myself and my brother, we just never came across those, uh, those disappointments or decisions where we're going to come home because, you know, we miss it from a language standpoint or the food. Yeah. So crazy enough, what we were doing for my brother, 
he had a Dutch dictionary already at the age huh. of like, I would say seven. Wow. And he was really, he had, he already, his room was filled with all the Dutch jerseys. He was a big Dutch fan. Yeah. And it was because my dad brought us up on these Will, Will Culver tapes. Yeah, I know those. Yeah. Yeah. And Will That's Culver, crazy. those training methods were heavily uh, based in the, in the Dutch yeah. environment of, of youth programs and even the pro players. So yeah. ever since then, we would just follow a lot of those, uh, those methodologies and the philosophies from the Dutch. Yeah. And my brother was a huge, huge, huge uh, Dutch, Dutch soccer fan. And it's crazy. If you watch Soccer Saturday, you get snippets of games and that's it. And then yeah. you know, he's just following articles in, in the back of the Toronto Star. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to get, just to find out updates on Dutch soccer, right? Yeah, seriously. Um, I so love that you know Soccer Saturday. Yeah, what's that? I love that you know Soccer Saturday, man. Oh, man. We, we had, our, period, our periodization when we were growing up and I'm trying to bring him up was we would train literally every day yeah. and because we didn't get that much soccer on tv it was the weekends where we would just put the vhs in yeah we would already have it programmed and, and set because we won't be home to watch it live yeah. or play yeah. soccer but at night we come home and then we flip on the vhs and you're watching soccer saturday graham leggett and that's the best we're just we're just going through games and, it's, and we would do video sessions where you sometimes you know match of the match of the week yeah you know, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, but we're pausing moments where, what would you do in this situation? And I'm already talking uh, like that at the age of six wow. years old. Wow. So he, he already had that in him. He pretty, he pretty much didn't have a childhood. He was already yeah. trained as a young professional. And um, I wanted to make sure he, that was already something that he knew before going to Europe, as opposed to a lot of these talented players. We saw forward to Europe mentally. These guys weren't prepared to enter a world where you're not speaking that language. You're far from home. And all those factors. So I had to drill it in him and also myself that uh, if you don't make it, you're, you're pretty much, you're pretty much are non-existent. You don't, yep. you don't exist. mm. Yeah. Wow. That's good. So Steve mentioned like a commonality we've seen in talking, like we've talked to a couple of, well, quite a few pros now and he noticed that commonality. Of, uh, and I noticed one too. Recently I've seen, you know, like you went through the Marseille youth team and then up to the reserve team, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and then there's always this one, not always, but more than likely, you, you kind of, to, you know, a step back to go for, right? Like, so now you went to, I, I'm going to butcher it, but Starbrooken? Starbrooken, yeah, Starbrooken. Denmark. That's it. I'm, you know what? I'm a real host now. You're cultured. <laughs> You're cultured. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you know, from Marseille to Starbrooken, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's like, the, is that the third division or second division when oh, you went? Time, it was second division Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah. so... Like, so you go to this lesser known team, but then you look and it's like the appearances are now big and that's where you learn to be a pro. Is that correct? So talk me through that. Like you leave a big club to a smaller club, but then it seems to propel everybody. Yeah. And that's, it, it's, it's funny because you, you know, I, I even take me back to the time when, when I was cut from the 17 national team. Uh, there, there was a time where I didn't even make the, uh, the nationals for, uh, for our provincial team. And I was, I was cut from that team. So you look at those things where those are stories that relate to a lot of people we looked up to, you know, we would read about, you know, Noanku Kanu, you know, his, his, his stories where he failed and had to, had to make it, uh, you, you know, a lot, a lot of the stars that we knew about growing up, they all kind of went through a similar uh, path. And that's where I told myself and my brother, we got to be different from what we see from the guys who get to go to Europe, talented, but then, ah, I miss home. I want to come. We just didn't want to be that person because we're, we were coming from Canada. Uh, so like for, for me to see 
failure as a, as a part of way to, to push yourself and motivate yourself. That was a, that was a huge way of bringing ourselves up before going to Europe, knowing that we're going to fail, we're going to struggle, but you know, we have to believe in that we can make a difference and we could do it because it's been yeah. done before. And we've seen Canadians like guys like Alex Bumber who play in Europe and, yeah. and make a career, Craig Forrest, yeah. uh, Shilito. So yeah. a lot of these guys I looked up to. Yeah. Meanwhile, my brother's probably looking up to, you know, Dutch guys. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. He's trying to you know keep at their at their levels and understand how it's done, whether it's uh, Edgar Davids or Clarence Seidorf, right? right? So, right. Um, the moment I I went to Marseille, Marseille, Marseille was a place that actually it really it, it was the biggest test because mm-hmm. you go into an environment where you know they don't they don't speak much English. I didn't speak much French. Yeah, I'm Canadian coming to uh, under seventeen youth team where these guys that you know, they're looking at me right away where, who is this guy, an outsider? Plus he's Canadian. We've never yeah. heard of Canadian soccer players, right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I had pretty much all the odds against me and Marseille at the time was one of the most dangerous cities in, in Europe. Yeah. Uh, during those, those, those times. So I had to, I had to play the face and I knew that, man, I can't let any of these reasons be why I'm back home because I missed it. And um, it, it was, it was the experience that really, really, one of the hardest experiences I've had, I had in my career, obviously it was all new to me. And, um, but because making that jump to the first team or uh, the second team, and then they just pretty much buy out their players. So the chance of me making it uh, to the first team was next, you know, to, to zero. Mm-hmm. I got lucky enough when then I was released by, uh, the, the Olympic de Marseille team. Uh, and at the time of my release, the, Academy director George Prost goes to me, you know, we're not going to keep you here. Uh, it's better you go back home. Soccer is not meant for Canadians. Really? That stuck with me. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So that stuck with me. Um, pissed me. It pissed me off. But you I mean at the end, you just thank them for the opportunity that I had, and I shook their hands and I looked in his eyes and I said, "Wish you the best." And at that point, you know, I'm a free agent. So I'm like, what do I do next? Like, can I, can I just ask you, like, keep, I want you to keep going. I don't want to derail you too much, but like, I think it's really clear. Anybody listening at this point, like you guys are mentally strong, but that's tough to, that's tough to digest, especially the, you're a Canadian. Like, I know you're pissed off. Like, did you think of quitting? Uh, no, I was, I, I, I could, I couldn't imagine. I said, I'm not going home. If it takes like me living in the streets, I'm already prepared to figure that out. That's uh, credible. Good for you. I just really did not want to be another statistic of a player who went to Europe and yeah. just almost made it, but came back home because of whatever. And I thought, I felt those were probably some of the encounters a lot of these guys faced and yeah. they'll crack. Most people will crack. So, but yeah. mentally, psychologically, I've been preparing myself and I cannot disappoint my brother. Huh. So you got to, you have to figure things out. But fortunately, yeah. After that, after getting released, I got a, I got an invitation to the under 18 team. Oh no, sorry, the under 20 team because we're preparing for now the qualifiers of uh, Argentina yep. 2009. Um, and I went to this camp in Duisburg, which was in in Germany, and uh, we had the five. We had a, a a team of 23 players, a pool of players that Paul James was coaching and had to pick from, and we played against regional teams throughout throughout uh, Germany. Yeah. We played, must play three games. I did well in those three games. And sure enough, I was approached by a coach, uh, spoke English, which was surprising. And then he <laughs> told me right away, he says, we want to fly you out to, uh, to our city. We like what you, we see. 
uh, you should come visit. I, I, it was Starbrooken. I yeah. had no clue what Starbrooken was all about. I was like, <laughs> I'm on that next flight. You, you let me know when. That's awesome. And uh, it, it wasn't even a case of me training. They wanted to sign me with their second team uh-huh. to push me to get to the first team. And I said, you know what? If that's the first time I'm hearing that, you know, for a chance like that for me, absolutely. So I, uh, and I, and I remember my mom was even scared. She was, why are you going to Germany? You know, you know, the history of Germany and you know, are you sure you want to be doing that as a black guy? I'm like, mama, I don't yeah. care. I need to play professional. doesn't wow. matter where. So, uh, and I made the best of it. I played the, with the second team and, uh, it did well and then ended up going to the world cup, qualifying for the world cup and, uh, 2001 for Argentina. Yep. Things are starting to happen in my, in my career. And then, you know, after that World Cup, I'm with the first team now in the second division Bundesliga. Um, and that was my first year pro. Uh, when, you've got, when you fast forward like four years after getting cut from Marseille. Yeah, yeah. crazy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump like four to a million years and then back that, that um, director at Marseille that let you go. Did you ever send him a picture in like your Deportivo uniform and, be, like, <laughs> and sign it and just like give it? Like, has he? Have you spoken to him since or any contact since that conversation? No, no contact with him directly, but I ended up playing against Olympic de Marseille with Deportivo La Coruña wow. in the Intertoto Cup yeah. in 2005. Wow. And I remember going there and it was a, it was a home and away. The home match we had won, I think we won 2-1 two, two, at home and then away we go there. And we got crushed five one. Oh wow! But I will never forget running along the bench at Marcy at the Velodrome. Yeah, I could hear all the the lovely comments coming my way, and it was some of the same people that I was working. I was I was uh, working with when I was uh, play, a player at the. No way! Oh yeah, and really yeah. on the bench, I could see their faces, and oh man, they they weren't they weren't obviously weren't happy to see me, but I mean for them to even say that to me and or be, be pissed at me at that level i mean it's kind of a f you to them so <laughs> yeah it is you should not you know what i'll send your deportivo like mvp trophy if you got one too yeah. that's it i guess we know why there's no marseille shirt behind you right now <laughs> oh yeah you won't find it you won't find a marseille shirt I mean, for, so you went to the second team and then the first team and you were there a couple of years quite a few years actually and you let your contract your contract ran out. Is that what happened? And then, so I went to the first team in Starbrooken uh-huh. uh, after my in my second season, and then we got relegated. Yeah. So uh, we went down to we went down to second uh, third division. Uh, it was Regional League at the time, and at that point, your contract is void. So I oh, played. Wow. I played it. I played about I think nineteen games just that first season. My first season pro. Um, yeah. Three different coaches. And even in that season, I must have sat out for about three months. I didn't play for like three months under the second coach who came in. So you, you, at that point, you're thinking, okay, my, well, my chances are done. And I, want just, I just went back to play with the second team to get games that year. Um, but when we get relegated now, or we got relegated, you're a free agent. And what happens is you get, to, uh, you get these phone calls now coming your way. And, you know, there's second division teams that are interested. There's uh, – there, there's third division teams that are interested. Now you're, now you're talking about, um, at the time I was 21 years old and, and I didn't know, I didn't know what to do, but I was like, you know what? I'll take any contract. But luckily the first coach that season that got, that got fired, uh, and Mars and, uh, Star- Starbrooken, the assistant coach was, was released as well. That assistant coach, Wolfgang Gagger, mm-hmm. he became the head scout, of one of the teams in the same league we were in that same season 
And then when we got relegated, the team that got promoted, he was on. He, pu- he, pulls, he got the attention of Ralph Raniak to bring me on board to Hanover 96, who got promoted the, that, that same season we got relegated. No way. It was Ralph Ragnett who was coaching them. Ralph Raniak was coaching them. He brought them up wow. from the division to, uh, to Bundesliga. He's and Wolfgang Geiger was, was like the assistant coach, a scout, and he pointed me out. I said, but that's the guy that we, were, we brought on board to Saarbrücken when, I, when he was assistant coach. Bring him up to the Bundesliga. Huh. So, well, imagine we get relegated. Now I'm in Bundesliga. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. You know what, Mark? You're, Mark, you're having, Mark, you're having a good show because that's two steps four is literally in one to go one at like yeah. two steps yeah, back to go one board. <laughs> wow. See, it's crazy how that works out. The dominoes and like how guy like, it's like one person moves and then like 50,000 pieces happen. It's, it's, it's incredible. And that it's, it's it, all it takes is a set of eyes, just like it happened yeah. when I was at Marseille, left. I'm at the training camp and at the national team. And then one guy sees me now, yeah. now, now I'm jumping to Bundesliga. You know, you fast forward five years after getting released from Marseille. Yeah. So were you, you straight into the first team at Hanover? Like, were you straight? Yeah, it, was, it was a Bundesliga contract. I was in the, I was in the first team. Yeah. Like you were and playing regularly. No. Well, I, the first couple games didn't start. And, um, and then I had to train with the second team to see, obviously you get games. But then I came off the bench. It must have been the fourth game of the season or something. And we were playing against Nuremberg. I came off the bench and I made my Bundesliga debut. Huh. I was like, oh, man, that's amazing. I finally, you know, made, made it happen. But it, I mean, it, it may have lasted like 20, 20 minutes. And now you're, now you're wanting more. You know, you're excited. You finally accomplished it. Now what's next, right? Yeah. Um, so I, at that point, I thought, okay, I just got my chance to get my chance. And maybe I might get another chance in the next four, you know, four games or something. Yeah. And uh, the next home game uh, – Usually night before the game, the team stays at the hotel. So we're sitting at the hotel. Uh, my roommate at the time, who was my roommate? I think it was uh, Stephen Trondolo, who's actually, that's his jersey in the back right there. Uh, no way. <laughs> in the U.S., yeah. American yeah. guy, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, we go for a team walk just before we head to the stadium, or after, sorry, just before we have our meal, we go for a team walk. And, and it's a kind of like the last team meal before the game. And Ralph Ryan kind of pulls me aside. And then this whole week I've been training with the second team, you know, yeah. starting 11 and pulls me aside day of the game and says, how are you feeling? I'm like, yeah, I feel, I feel pretty good. I didn't really do much. when I made my debut against Nuremberg, it was just, you know, worked hard and that was it. Yeah. And uh, he goes, all right, good. If you're good, then you're starting today. Be ready. Wow. And it was against Borussia Dortmund where you had, Jan no, no way. Yeah. In front of like 45,000 people at home. And I'm like, yeah, Collar, you have uh, Lars. Uh, yeah, uh, Lars Ricken. Lars Ricken, yeah. um, Rizinski. Yeah. I mean, Everton, Dede. Like, you, I was like, wow, this is actually happening. So, started, that was my first debut, like, start. Uh, it was probably five games into the Bundesliga season. And uh, that whole my first season, I played about maybe 19 games as well. Didn't play much. But then after that, I was, uh, I was a starter for the rest of the, my term. I got a question, Mark. I got to ask it. I'll be, I, I'm mad. I haven't asked other people. I want, I'm dying. I'm, I think you're the perfect person to ask. So you mentioned Ralph Ragnick, or I'm probably butchering his name. I'm worse than Mark. Like that guy's a big time coach. Like, you know, I, I've, I've, I've looked up and studied things he's done. So I guess my question is, I, I'll try not to ramble here. Um, when you're at those levels and, and you've gone from Bundesliga three now all the way up to Bundesliga and you're with a guy like that, what's what's i don't want to ask like a fluff question for it but what's the differences with these guys and these levels so what i'm really getting at here is i've got my coaching philosophy where i think i think a lot of times people and coaches put a lot 
too much on formations. 4-4-2, I think those are just templates and the game's about killing and creating space. But I want to know from someone who's been there, like what do these guys focus on? Do they sit there and tell you we're playing 4-5-1 and they move the chess pieces around? Or are you more on a training pitch concerned about covering space, situational play, what we do in attacking thirds, defensive thirds? Like, can you, can you kind of talk to that? I know I just kind of verbally diarrhea a question at you, <laughs> which was probably horrible. But I, I argue often about, like, I think those templates get too ingrained. Like, what do Jurgen Klopp and Pep really play? You could say 4-3-3 and stuff, but sometimes Trent Arnold and, and Alex and Robertson are like wingers, you know? Like, they're, they're more concerned about situations. So, anyways, I'm going to shut up, but I, I'd, loved, <laughs> I'd love to hear some sort of answer to that from you. Um. So, I mean, just to kind of answer all, all, all those questions. And, yeah, all of them, yeah. Uh, in one, kind of in one shot. Ralph Ranić. I mean, not even Ralph Ranić. I mean, I could go back to even Bernard Casoni, who I had at, in Marseille. I mean, yep. it's just the stuff that these guys have lived their yep. whole entire lives and at the level they've, they've lived it at, right? And um, R- Bernard Casoni, minor 17 coach for Marseille, won a Champions League with Olympique de Marseille. Huh. These are the these are the type of guys we're dealing with at a youth level. Yeah. When you when you get to this level now, Bundesliga, and Ralph Rennick, I mean, if you've ever seen the guy, he looks some he's a scrawny guy with glasses. Yeah. They, they call it they call him the uh, uh, the prof, like the professor. Yeah. And um, and he, he and he just was I guess never really played the game. But yeah. He was one of those coaches that was it's weird where you have a guy who's never played the game, a genius of, of the game. Huh. And you could see the amount of work he's done. He's changed. The, he's changed the the face of German soccer. Yeah, he has. The way it is today. That's how. That's how it was for him. Yeah. Those years when the average age of a team was thirty years old. Yeah. So when I look at how, what he's done, he likes to be the guy who was making the difference, doing the odd thing, playing playing four in the back was that was a new thing. Yeah. In that era of Germany and winning. Yeah. Um, before there was more of a kind of three in the back. Five two, he yeah. With, yeah, he did it with four three three, and it's almost like it's it's it was the, an odd formation that he implemented that no not 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 many Germans knew about. Yeah. Right? So, but it was working, and he did it with young players. He he did it with Stuttgart, yes. the youth, uh, and Stuttgart and making them in the first team and doing well. Yeah. Uh, I remember Unterhaching as well. He yeah. did it with, That's where he actually started. Yeah. Uh, Hanover was that thing where he brought them from second. To first, that became something about Ralph Reinick. Yeah, he's done that with Hoffenheim. Yeah, and uh, he did it with uh, I believe another another team. Maybe it was Unterhaching, but he was known to like bring these teams from in a, in a lower from a lower platform to a and, higher. And this is not just the coaching; this is everything in general. Yeah, um, okay. And that's what he did at at, at, at Hanover. Um, this is what he's doing for Red Bulls right now, as we know. He did it for, yeah. for Schalke. Yeah, um, he did it for Hoffenheim. And he's got disciples coming from him all over the place. So you all over the place. German soccer. So what did he do in training with you? I don't need you to go through everything and bore us all and whatever, but I think people who listen want to know, like, is he strictly focusing on like your shape and like, you know, what is he, what's, what's he doing? Oh, he's, well, so he's, I mean, he's all over it obviously, but he, he, he pretty much plans his sessions. Mm-hmm. Assistant coaches are, are running it, but then you, you only see him jump in and when we're getting close to the game, if it's two, three days before the game, he'll jump yeah. in with the starting 11, work with them. Yeah. But in terms of a day-to-day where everyone's involved and you're not, you're not doing too much 11 aside stuff. Yeah. Um, he would oversee things. And the way he addresses stuff to players, especially the young players like myself at the time, I was 21. Yeah. 
he would walk up to me and it's like he's speaking English right away. He speaks huh. perfect English. Um, but then, you know, that's just him being nice. But when he's mad, he'll probably speak German to me <laughs> just, to get a, just to get a message. But he just uses those type of tactics to make you feel comfortably uh, yeah. accepted Except at that level, right? So, yeah. um, but he, you know, easygoing guy too. I mean, he, he you know, off the, off the field, uh, I mean, I guess this is our time back then where you, you'd have a beer after the game type yeah. thing and you'd yeah. a beer with the group sometimes jokingly. But, you know, I think in terms of his day-to-day, the way he approaches players, he knows he just has – I guess a, a, a good, strong cultural, cultural sense on how he brings in gotcha. a lot of guys from Africa, you know, a, yeah. lot, a lot of guys from France. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's his big one now. And he just understands something about the culture. So even, even when I came as a Canadian, yep. he knew stuff about Canada. And, um, Crazy. and he, he, that's how he kind of gets your acceptance and your trust. And then any philosophy you present at that point. I mean, Because he's already got you. He's done his man he management. He's, yeah, he's very, very good at man management. And I think that's what you see it from a lot of those, those, those successful managers, the man management part. It's so important when you're dealing with egos, high paid players, yeah. they know how to manage those things. And that's why they do well. There's coaches that are very good now on yeah. the tactical side and they know, you know systems and all that stuff. Yeah. But the management, management, management part for me, it's, it's, it's a big deal. And Ralph Ranick was very special with that for players all over the world. I love that. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I apologize yeah. for, for the way I dumped the question, but it was great. <laughs> it was like a can of whipped cream i know a can of whipped cream and you just fired it into the camera yeah and at one point i actually like stepped out of my body and i was like what am i doing like i was watching myself ask it it was horrible (laughs) i i I really liked it like that's that's fascinating i always wonder that you know and and that's that's a great answer for sure so fast forward a couple of years now you're in the first team established now professional at hanover the contract runs out for real this time, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you, was that like a specific choice you and your agent made? Like, let's run it out so we can have like our pick of the litter or was it like a board decision or what happened there? It was, it, it, so it was the same agent I signed with the moment I signed pro at Sarbrooken. Hmm. Okay. So he was my, this is the same agent I'm working for, or he's done the deal for Hanover. Uh, I've, I've played, uh, about, about 90 games for the club and you know now I'm 24 at the time um, they've, they've they're offering me so the, the the sport director at Hanover from the time I was there till the end of my contract he's he, his name is Richard Mora he came mm-hmm. to me uh, he was the new sporting director for Hanover when we got promoted and uh, he came to me towards the end of my contract and he was meant to be offering me a new deal uh, newspapers are talking about it uh, you know Where's the extension? We need him here, you know, da, 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 da. But then there's other offers coming in. Now you're reading Olympique de Marseille actually was interested at the time. Wow. No way. They came up. Werder Bremen, um, Haspau, of Hamburg, um, Leverkusen. Huh. Um, and I know uh, there are some teams, and mostly in the Bundesliga, they, they showed a lot of interest. But then there was a couple of whispers from outside of the Bundesliga. So I asked my agent what about those offers outside the Bundesliga? What else is there? And uh, he says, yeah, well, let's just, uh, let's focus more on Germany. This is now your jump. And the big offer he wanted me to sign at the time was, uh, was for handover 96. Oh, no, no, sorry. Uh, Leverkusen. Bayer Leverkusen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bayer Leverkusen had an offer. At that time, Bayer Leverkusen were known to sign these young players and then loan them out. And uh, I just don't want to be that guy to yeah. sign a Bundesliga contract with a team like Leverkusen and then get loaned out to a second division team 
when yeah. I have an offer from Hanover 96 that keeps me in the Bundesliga, even though year to year we're fighting to stay in the Bundesliga. You're playing. Playing, yeah. right? So, but the money was looking very promising on the buyer the recruiting side versus the Hanover side. Um, so that was, a, that was another factor. The big thing that motivated me to say, I want to leave Germany completely was because a lot of stuff that was happening off the field hmm. and more so like the tabloids with regards to my, my life where really my relationship and then all this drama going on, that was all coming out in, in, in the, in the uh, tabloids. So that made me feel uncomfortable at times. And, and I just said, you know what, maybe it's time for me just to leave this country completely. Um, because at the point the media now is putting more pressure on me. Why is he not signing? So they started to dig dirt. They started to dig dirt. Wow. And uh, I remember getting a call from one, one of the, um, the journalists from the Build, the, the, one of the big papers in the yep. And uh, he said, yeah, listen, we know all the stuff on you. We have pictures and evidence. If you can't tell us why, uh, what's going on with your personal life, we will expose you on this end because we know that, we also know that you're not going to sign with Hanover. Huh. We heard, we heard you're getting offers from other teams that you're considering. Because I kept downplaying it. Oh, I'm going to stay in Hanover or I love Hanover yeah. and everything. And I was playing and we were fighting to stay in the Bundesliga. Uh, and it was a tough thing to juggle. There was, wow. there, was a lot, there was a lot going on at that time in my life. And I, and I felt this, was, this would have been my fifth year in Germany. And I was like, you know, I think there's time for a change, especially when you start hearing now Tottenham's in the, in, in the play. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there, there, was, um, uh, there was another team outside that was uh, one, of, one of the big names. Um, with, it was, sorry, Martin Yole was at Tottenham. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, Tottenham was one of them. Oh, and PSV was another one. Jeez. So, so there's, there's these teams I'm looking at, and I'm asking my agent, why not? Let's try to look outside the, the, uh, the country. He didn't, I don't think he had that in him. So what I ended up doing, huh. I, I, I left that agent, yeah. and I moved on to uh, a new, uh, the new set of guys that were taking care of my brother. And those are the those guys that they also represented Ruben Nistelroy and uh, oh, Martin De Young. So they had some some strong connections, and they also mentioned, "Hey, we're getting calls uh, about not Jonathan, but we're getting calls about Julian. Yeah, maybe going to other parts of the of, of Europe." So my so now Hanover are meant to give me one last offer. So yeah, the sport director comes in and says, "Okay, listen, I'm going to give you a contract, and I know." I'm lowballing you throughout. I'm doing this on purpose. And the reason why I'm doing this is because my contract here is also done. Ah. I'm going to go back to my club where I came from and I want to bring you there. <laughs> no, that's how it happened. That's how it happened. That's I'm fascinating. Like, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm almost falling off my chair. Yeah. This is unreal. And, I, and you were blackmailed during the story. This is killing me right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. So like, I, I knew all of this was happening yeah. leading to the last six months of my contract at Hanover. So I'm already now getting killed in the media about my, you know, this guy hasn't made a decision because the moment you have your last six months, you're a free agent because I need yeah. whatever you want. Yeah. And uh, so I come back after the winter break and it, it just wasn't like a comfortable environment. And I said, I had to push myself for the next six months, perform, do well, stay fit because I, I just signed a pre-contract with Deportivo La Coruña. Yeah. And the sporting director of my current club was yeah. the one who arranged this. That's an, that's an, that is absolutely <laughs> oh, crazy. So I had to keep everything zipped. They're pressuring me about those questions as well. Who's doing this? Who's done it? All this stuff. So there, there's a lot of tension towards well, the I, end of my time. Yeah. Well, two things I want to say from that one, 
like Steve attested to earlier, for you to have that mental strength to play and continue to be at a top level with all this going on, I would have been in a fetal position crying in my apartment (laughs) for sure. But that shows how strong you are mentally. And number two, I I heard a rumor that you were actually considering Tottenham. I think Staltieri was there at the time, right? Oh, he... He might have been. I think he played. Might have been. I think he just left. Yeah, he just went. He just okay, went. Okay, because I think I, I read anyway. It could be whatever. Just, but hey. you wanted to go. You're thinking of going there, but the, your position was already. It was too many people in there, kind of thing. Is that is that yeah, true? Yeah, well, yeah. Their roster was pretty deep at the time too. Yeah, um, it's insane. Yeah, and I I, th- I just felt you know what at that point, if it's Tottenham, Bayer Leverkusen, mm-hmm. or Deportivo La Coruña, it's going to be deep anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so, but the reason I think the big reason why I chose La Coruña was because, and the agent had pointed this out. Uh, he said, Julian in Spain, uh, and you know, for foreigners, it's very, very hard. There's there's a rule if you're in, there's three non-European positions yeah. Yeah. that could be fulfilled, and most of the time they're going after South Americans, right? Yeah. He's like, yeah. you're Canadian. This Especially- guy's arranging this for you to, to to get in there as one of the foreign foreign players in a foreign spot as a Canadian. Yeah. He goes. Yeah. That has never happened ever, has it? I was like, I don't think so. In the history of soccer in Canada, I don't think that has ever happened. No, uh, no. People have gone to England. People, you know, pe- people have played um, yep. in, in the yeah. UK, in the Bundesliga, but no Canadian has ever played in La Liga. And this one, no. this is what, this was when La Liga was hot. You had Ronaldinho. Yeah, deep too. Ronaldo, oh man, like, I mean, every, every team you could think of, there was a yeah. star that became yeah. a star or, or there was probably a next star. But yeah, guys, yeah. This, this was the time I wanted to, and that was my favorite league in the world too. Now I'm a Barca fan, growing up. Yeah. And you watch. No, you're right. That was the top league. You're definitely right. Deportivo, yeah. Valencia, Atletico, Barca. Like there yeah. were a Villarreal with Raquel. Villarreal. Like what yeah. a what a deep league. That was the top. Sevilla. League. It was top. It was it was a, such a hot league. And I was a fan of that league. And and uh, I remember watching Soccer Saturday. And it's like, man, I would dream of one day just going to a game and watching yeah. behind the goals. Whenever the ball just goes by the goal, you hear a, a big whoosh. I'm like, I just love that. And they play so late and they play, it's just a, you could yeah. just sense that there's a different environment coming from Spain. And that's just from watching soccer Saturday. But I just said, you know what? I don't think I'll ever live that dream because yeah. it's such a high, high level. And um, De- uh, Deportivo was a team I ended up signing with um, six months prior to my contract ending at, uh, at Hanover. Hey, you know what, Julian, I'm, I'm mad at Mark because he, he asked these two questions. Great questions, I'll be honest. But as you, you told that story so well, I was afraid you wouldn't sign for Deportivo. <laughs> like, I already know the answer, but you're telling me, and I'm like, oh, I hope it, I hope it worked out for him. <laughs> that's amazing. I was worried. Yeah, but that's, that's the best, knowing yourself, too, and you're, and you're that sporting director. Like, Spain was built for you, like your type of game, too, right? Like, you were like that kind of, you know, play a product that's not like really seen in England that especially at the time right you go there and it's like you know it's different the Spain was your game so that's why I think you you just you flew at that but yeah I want to say you scored one goal in your time at Deportivo (laughs) against Real Madrid that's true right I know I I still I have I have to go back in my safe and always pull out that 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 jersey. <laughs> you that, have? That. Do you have the ball or anything from that I game? Jersey, I have the jersey I, I, I scored in, but I but I, but I also have like the jerseys when you play against teams and you change, switch, switch with them. And I have a yeah. jersey. Like even to this day, I, I still don't believe this happened. But yeah. great. Who was the keeper that you scored on? Do you remember? Yes. Wow. Jeez. Oh, 
Yeah. This is like FIFA. I'm playing FIFA right now. <laughs> this is insane. It's, it's, yeah, left-footed, wow. left-footed shot, um, assisted by Diego Tristan. Wow, what a player! It, oh, he was sick. Eh? He was so good. Oh man, it, he was towards the end of his career, but he he couldn't move. He couldn't cover ground. But you zip a ball in his first touch. It was incredible. But his second touch, if it was a shot on goal, it could be like a, a chip, a nice slots it from outside the 18 like i don't it's just so he's so calm on the ball and that, wow. that's such, such high quality football it's wow. high two football. questions one who is the best player you played with on deportivo uh juan carlos valeron hands down wow really eh? crazy who is that player you lined up against in a game in la liga where you're standing there you're you know you're who and you're like jesus i'm scared shitless right now who was it? <laughs> oh man, um, it it would have it would have to be my third. This is from my third start. I think it was my third start with Deportivo La Coruña. Third start at your yeah, fourth start, and it was against. Uh, we were at home against Barcelona, and you see, I'm seeing Ronaldinho right there. I think the moment that happened, I just you just go yeah you, you go deaf, and all you could just all you could just like just you could just see what's in front of you, but you just go deaf and you're numb. Huh. Guys, in my position, it was a defensive midfielder. Um, towards the end, well, most, for the most part of my career in Deportivo was defensive midfielder. But when I started playing games, they actually had me on the wing. Huh. I was oh, playing as a winger. Interesting. Um, and, uh, and this was because the coach was hired after I was signed. Mm. So he, I wasn't in his plans initially. Yeah. So they just didn't know what to make of me. They, they didn't see me as a midfielder. They didn't see me as a holding midfielder. Um, but the sporting director saw me at Hanover and said, this guy's a great box to box and he could play holding midfielder too. Coach didn't see eye to eye. So I wasn't really in the plans initially, but because I was such a hard worker, I could run up and down, throw me on the wing. And that's where I played the first, uh, I must play the first five or six games uh, with, De- with Depor. And it was against Ronaldinho at home with my third start. We tied three, three. It was a crazy game at home. And then the following game was against Real Madrid. And we played at home against them. And I mean, I, I, like that, that's like almost two weeks of me not sleeping. When you yeah. know, you're, you're lined up against these teams. And you, you're already getting uh, whispers in the change room. Hey, man, you're, you're going to start. It's going to be okay. So Jorge Andrade, my uh, teammate, my roommate, he could see that I'm quiet on car rides if I'm with him or in the hotel. And he says, hey, man, these are the best games to play. You know why? Because they know how to play football. So teams that you, you play against that know how to play football allows you to play too because they'll let you play. So you have players. You have myself, you have Colacini, you have uh, Sergio, you have Juan Carlos Valaron. He goes, you just need to break their legs and just give those guys the ball. And that was essentially my job throughout the rest of my career there at Deportivo where I just have to work hard, collect the ball for these guys, and feed them. And, uh, and eventually my, my nickname was uh, El Plumon. They used to call me the, the Lungs. Yeah the team when because i just run for guys and that's how i became a defensive midfielder down the road but yeah going into that game against real madrid for some reason (laughs) i ended up scoring the uh the uh the opening goal and uh it it was it was crazy i remember coming down the the right side uh laying it off to tristan and tristan lays it across the top of the 18 wow it's gone across my my body from the right to left and as it lines up to the left side I smack it across far posts. And then as that ball goes in, man, like, like, I, like you said, like I told you already, you, you just go deaf. Like it's yeah. like 
you cannot believe this has happened. It's like your soul has just lifted from, from you and uh, yeah. you're, you're in the heavens at that point. And uh, yeah, we ended up winning that game three, one. So, so things have now getting off to a great start, but then two games down the road, uh, playing as Villarreal, Raquel May destroys us. Um, I was playing in that left wing role again. And then Caparo said, okay, done. We're not doing this anymore with the Guzman as a left winger. And I probably sat out for like four four weeks, four to six, four to six weeks where I didn't play much anymore because it was kind of like, what's left of this guy? I mean, we figured him out. He can't play that position. And this was yeah. after, imagine you scoring at Real Madrid, you think nothing's <laughs> irresponsible, but yeah. in La Liga, it's, it's almost at, it's training, it's training after training where coaches can make a decision. It's not even just up a, a one performance like that. So um, it was hard for me when I was, wasn't playing. And I was like, you know what, this brings me back to when I, what happened at, at, at Sarbrooklyn. When I didn't play, uh, coach comes in and, um, you know, it, 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 it just goes to anywhere you, you end up. You got to earn your stripes. And that was one of those things where I had to grind again. And, um, and you did. And I did. And then I, I, don't, I don't think it was that season, but I think it was a following season. Yeah, it was a following season where Caparos was still the coach. I wasn't playing much. My agents told me you got a, you got an, a loan deal from Ajax. So maybe you want to speak to him and go there. And Ralph Ranyak had called me from Hoffenheim saying, Hey, I have a team, Julian. I'm going to bring up from uh, yeah. second division to Bundesliga. Come here now. We'll, we'll match your contract, what you're making now. And when we get promoted, we'll double that contract. Jesus. And uh, I said, no, like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you would have done like, Why am I going to risk second division Bundesliga yeah, yeah. when I'm you're already right in the Liga? Yeah. You know, if if I leave here, it's gonna be very hard for me to come back because I, I have a Canadian passport. So yeah. I said, let, me, let me just try to ride this out. But um, I, I still even asked Caparosa, "Can I go on a loan to Ajax?" And and Tenkat was the uh, the head coach. Yeah, because he was with Reichard at uh, Barcelona as assistant mm-hmm. coach. So he became head coach at Ajax, and he wanted me to go to Ajax on loan. And Caparosa said, "No, you're staying here." So had to grind it out, and then it was crazy. This is a crazy story, actually. Uh, first half of the season with La Coruña, we're in relegation. Yeah. We're in the relegation zone. So this was like, you're in the hotel and it was like an important match where we had to turn things around. President had his meeting with the, with the group and he's promised the players, um, well, tw- I'll say 20,000, 20,000 euros per game, per, for every game we, we win. Yeah. And, then, and half of that for every game we, we don't win. Right. Per, so this, is what, this was the incentive because we were struggling and he's walked in there and give us, give, give us that incentive. Uh, and this was when players now going in, the, going in the coach's locker room now saying, hey, coach, you might want to use De Guzman now. He's, he's, he's fighting. Really? Yeah. Wow. He's fighting in training. We need to fight. We can't just worry about playing fancy football now. We, need, we just need results. And yeah. he's showing that in, in training. You know, guys like Colacini and, and, and Jorge Andrade, they, they had my back on that. Huh. And then I ended up starting. And from that time, going into the second half of the season, when I started those games, we probably lost, I think we lost maybe one game. Huh. And we tied maybe a few and then won the rest of them. So we went from relegation and then end of the season, we finished now for a position in UEFA Cup. Jeez. So oh. the amount of wins that we accumulated for the second half of the season, I mean, everybody was happy. And that, 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 was, uh, that, that was great to do. And Capros now has a name. And I think at that point he had, he took off to Atletico Bilbao. Yeah. 
Um, you so, must have, though, like, when those guys went into that chain, no wonder you were their lungs for them. Like, you must have yeah. wanted to run through a wall after they did oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, at that point, man, you, you know, you've, it, it, it was such a great group of guys I played with in, in Spain, and I loved the country as a whole. I mean, the, just the lifestyle that, that came with it. Um, but, yeah, when, you, when, when, you, when it comes, like, push, push comes to shove, and, you know, you're at the hotel, and the fans are outside the hotel waiting for you, making noise, cheering you on and pushing you and then you're in the team bus and then the whole city's driving with you in that team bus to those home games. Yeah. You know, the hype, the, the hype is serious, but you know, and then you go into that field and you give everything you can back to those fans. And, uh, and, and uh, it was, it was yes. beautiful. Every, for every win we became stronger and, you know, uh, and then, you know, we, we just finished a, a strong season at that point. We turned things around from relegation to a uh, youth cup. That's incredible, Mark. I like. I have fifty questions, but I'm. We got to get into. I'm like, do we got to get into like fourteen hours. I know. I wanna go <laughs> the longest. It's gonna be the longest podcast ever because I don't want to stop. My ask. I think you have some Canada stuff, Mark, and I think we probably want to get into FC Barry as well, so you can you can discuss that. But go. Oh, ahead. we can do a part two if you guys want. I mean, <laughs> yeah, loving this. I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm seeing it. The, the Deportivo contract, is that, again, does that run out on its own on your choice? Or, or yeah, so Deportivo contract runs out. Of both again? or Yeah, Deportivo contract runs out. Um, and what happens is now, again, offers are coming in. And this was in 2008. It ran, no, sorry, 2009, it runs out. And um, it, was, it was actually, it was funny because maybe I would say a year before the, the contract was running out, offers were coming in. Now you're halfway through that, that season. Um, there's still offers on the table, but now the economy, we're going through the recession, right? So a lot of, a lot of the offers now are not the same number they initially came in with. Yeah. Probably almost 30%, half of that. And uh, I've got offers from uh, Wigan, um, again, PSV, Benfica, um, and uh, Espanol, Zaragoza, Almeria, and Deportivo La Coruña want to renew my contract. So I, I loved it in Spain. I loved it in Spain. I wanted to stay in La Liga, but I also loved it in Deportivo. The problem was at Depor, um, they, they weren't paying a lot of the money on time and there were bonuses that were unpaid as well. So I have a seven figure unpaid bonus, you know, that yeah. I'm still going to court with these guys and they're offering me a five year deal now um, for almost the same, same amount of money that they had in the initial, in my initial contract. So yeah, it's super attractive, I'll, you know, five years for sure. But what about the money that they owe? Yeah. yeah. So I think I made the mistake, obviously going to the public talking about that. And I think that that definitely rubbed them the wrong way. Yeah. Um, I, and at that point I was just, I was just, I was just mad where, you know, why does it have to get to that number? Yeah. And, yeah. and Rude, uh, Roy McKay, it was funny because Roy McKay, <laughs> when I, oh, when they found out in Bundesliga had signed for Deportivo La Coruña, Roy McKay was at, um, Bayern Munich and we played and as we were walking out in the tunnel Roy McKay goes hey congrats to Deportivo but you might not get all your money and that and I and this was like I'm with Hanover at the time and he's telling me this I'm like what do you mean all my money he goes you, he goes I'm telling you right now you're not gonna get all your money so he warned me that and holy oh, cow this is all happening now at the end of my contract or as we're negotiating so that's where I became mad and and um and then even it was harder for me to go to the teams in Spain that were interested because they thought I had a European passport, which I didn't. And uh, they also had, uh, so then I'm looking at now the options of PSV. I liked PSV, but I was like, nah, I think I'll wait. And I played the Gold Cup, 09. Uh, we, we lost to Honduras in that 
scandal of the penalty shot when Paul Saltieri tries to bicycle the ball. Remember that one? Yes. <laughs> so we get knocked out there. Uh, but I said I had a pretty good Gold Cup. And TFC approached me after, right after that Gold Cup. Um, and Mo Johnson was the, the GM at, at the time. And he came, he came to me with a pretty, pretty attractive offer. And I was like, okay, this, this is actually not bad for Canadian. But if I convert it to Euros after taxes, I mean, we're not close to where what I was making in, in, in Spain. So I said, I'm going to wait. So I took the risk of waiting, saying mm-hmm. no to, to TFC, saying no to PSV, saying no to Benfica which had me unemployed now from uh, June, July, August. Wow. We're going into September now. My agent calls me and says, listen, the, uh, TFC want to talk to you again. For the four months that I was unemployed for, all, all I was doing was just training in, um, in, in Germany. And my agent in Europe at the time said, let's just wait till the, the winter break. Maybe things will open up. But I had an agent in, in North America who called me and said, TFC want to meet up. Where's your first class flights? Let's get down here. I fly down. We spent maybe about a, about a, a full week negotiating, negotiating, going back and forth. They come with an offer. I say, no, it has to get this. It has to get to this. They don't want to do a three-year guarantee. They never done. No one's ever, ever done a three-year guarantee for a DP player, except David Beckham at that time. This is yeah. when D, DP rule will just, just started. Introduced. Yeah. Just started because yep. of Beckham. And they were doing the one year plus two option, all these things. I was like, no, it needs to be three year, three year, three year. I was adamant about that. Plus, they were able to live up to it. So once I had the solid contract, I said, like, there's no brainer. I'm going to sign this. So I signed with TFC for the, uh, for the rest of the 09 season plus three years. Um, and, uh, and that's how I was able to – that was in September. So, yeah, that's how my, my career started in MLS. And, um, I mean, it was uh, – I wish, obviously, if I had those offers in Europe, I would have definitely could chosen Europe. But at that point, when you're 28 – yeah, you you, you got to start looking at how, how you know how can you maximize the most. Yeah, can I circle back for a second? And I have a theory of this. <laughs> Toronto FC, you're at the top of your game at this point. I'm going to get a little soccer snobby at this point to <laughs> to potentially some fans here, but what I'm saying is like, is this kind of what I alluded to earlier? Like, you were a top. Spanish type player, number six, you know, like doing all the grunt work that the non-soccer people don't see. Okay. You come to Toronto as a DP. So all these fluff fans are DP or he's going to score 16 goals. He's going to get all these stats and everything like that. That's where it went wrong. It went wrong in the head of the, of the fans and media, not of the play on the field. That's my theory of watching the games. And is that in any way, accurate in your opinion <laughs> or am i a complete idiot like vic router would say hey man you you know what you you actually you absolutely nailed it you nailed it you know that in 09 tfc has been around for what, three years now and yeah, yeah. You know, they're gonna spend tons of money on a player for sure for sure people are gonna start thinking he's gonna be the goal scorer especially the fact that in my contract i had scoring bonuses that scoring bonuses in my contract i've never seen a scoring bonus in my life because they were at the Real Madrid game, Julian. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was honestly probably ten clips of me scoring against Real Madrid, and it was from different angles, which is part what you know people thought. Oh, this guy's actually a goal scorer. Which yeah, yeah. Which, uh, and I actually did score quite a few goals with the national team. I mean, yeah, that gold cup. Scored against Brazil. Like, scored against yeah. Costa Rica. Scored against uh, yeah. Jamaica. These type of games, like people are going like, to say, okay, this, and then yeah. in Real Madrid, he must be a goal scorer. Yeah, you know, yeah. And uh, for a new Canadian team, but. Yeah, definitely for sure. It was uh, 
it, it was it was like a misconception in, ter in terms of my role as a player within the national team versus uh, a club team. And yeah, TFC today, man. I mean, that's they, they look like a dream now. I mean, that's yeah, totally the, different, eh? The, yeah, I guess they had to go through some trials and tribulations to figure out. So, quick question, I, I guess. Sorry, I was just going to say, like, like you hear about the Pirlos, the Gerards, all them coming over and talking about the difference in the style of play and everything. You're, you're from here, but I, I think you probably had the exact same experience. Like, like I think Mark's probably at least collect that, you know, you fit in Spain and that role and, and that style, and you, you've come from Germany and Spain, and now it's a different game. First time ever in my, in my career, I was homesick. And uh, I was playing at TFC. It was just different wow. for me. Wow. Different environment, like everything, just jumping on planes, playing on turf indoors. Yeah. And, um, it was very, very different. But um, again, you're getting a, you're get, you're getting offered a DP contract for your hometown. I mean, that's that's one a no brainer. You know, of yeah. course, and, and of you, course. a guy with one label signed that. And yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so you know, that was an opportunity I was I was I ventured out to, and you know what? It really, really, really helped me when I, when I look back at it, and I had the chance to go to Ottawa Fury. Yeah. And when that opportunity came, because after I went back to Germany, after TFC, I went back to Germany, Regensburg, uh, Skoda Santi in, in Greece. And then I didn't have a club for almost eight months. And at that point, I wanted to step away from the game. Yeah. Um, so I, I just wanted time for myself and family. And my brother just made it to the World Cup. And that was his long, long time dream to, as a kid. So I got a chance to go there. But I still got called into the national team. And getting called into the national team, kept me obviously active under Benito Floro, but I didn't have a team in between. So, but I was training with club teams and, uh, and then finally Benito said, you need to find a club. So when Ottawa came uh, about in the conversation with my agent, which I didn't even know about, I didn't, I didn't even know they existed in 2014. I only yeah. found out about Ottawa theory. Yeah. My insult done at Mount Sinai in Toronto during my off season. And the doctor there was working with OSEG and said, Hey, there's a soccer team in Ottawa. I'm like, Oh yeah, really? <laughs> it was a special team called Ottawa Fury. I'm, I'm the doctor for the, uh, the organization. I was like, what? How's I, well, so what are you doing in Toronto? He's like, I get to make my visits there, but you know, we work together. So I looked up Ottawa Fury and I'm seeing these guys training in snow at TD place. Yeah. So I was like, man, this stuff again, like, <laughs> <laughs> cause I had, I had Santander at the time as an, as an option. And I had the chance to go back to Germany, but at this point I'm getting older and I'm, I was 34 at the time. And so I said, you know what? let me come back home and learn more about what's going on. Cause I'm actually disappointed in the fact that we only have three MLS teams and one NESL team yeah. as professional teams. But when I left home in 97, we had no professional teams. That's still not enough. What is going on? So that was my idea to go huh. take that risk with uh, uh, the Ottawa move. And then, I mean, it was a great risk because it prepared me already for my time at TFC, what to expect when I come to Ottawa. Yep. And, uh, and then, and then Mark DeSantis, I mean, was a, a lovely guy. To, to work with as well and um ever since then i i learned so much on where canada is at in terms of soccer and i mean and, it, and it's just great to see how that's flourished uh not even just ottawa with, with canadian players but i mean that's yeah. what country we're seeing now and yeah. then the ppl and, and whatnot so yeah that was my view in terms of coming back home i gotta ask about that game the soccer bowl versus the national team yeah I know. was that the worst like did you make did they ask you for your decision or was it a no-brainer you got to go to canada like how does that I, work? See, that's a problem with Canadian soccer, in my opinion, is they, is they don't, you know, it's like, you can't have that. Like, you got to work I, that around. Is that, is that not crazy? Yes, it's, it's important. It's important. And I, I, have, to, I have to admit, talking to Mark DeSantos, um, the message from, from, from me to him was, I need a team just to stay involved in the national team. 
So anytime there's a national team call up, I got to commit. And it worked out fine because really and truly, I didn't miss that many games going to the national team throughout yes. the season. But the, the league, NASL, had scheduled this final throughout an international break. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's North American soccer North- summed up in one sentence. Yeah. And, but nevertheless, I, as we were getting close to like clinching a spot, like that fall season we had, we were yeah. on a, a roll. Yeah. I, I told Mark and, and, and Nash as we were getting close, we, we must have been like one win away from making the, 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 the semifinals against Minnesota. We were one, one, yeah, one win away. It was against Jacksonville. Was it Jacksonville or San Antonio? I forget, I forget who it was. But anyways, we, I spoke to the coaches and I said, guys, you guys got to talk to the national team now. Yeah. I'm looking at the dates and we were already calculating the dates of the semifinals yeah. and finals. And I was like, this is running into a camp or a national team camp for the World Cup qualifiers. Dude, dude, let's, let's, let's talk, let's talk about it. Mark and Nash, uh, let's just wait. Let's just wait. And I said, okay, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. And um, I, I just feel, I know they, I know the whole locker room. I can tell you right now, that whole locker room saw us winning that whole thing. Like we yeah. felt, we felt we were going to win this, right? And um, it was after the, the the Minnesota game. I was highly convinced. I'm like, man, this is a trophy. Like this, that Minnesota game, four two an extra time, fans on the field. Like everything's happening like that. You need to happen in terms of like going to a final against New York and winning it in New York, right? Yeah. All these, and it's like after that game, I'm like, hey, what what now? They're asking, Nash is asking me, do you think you can convince the national team? I'm like, guys, man, I told you guys to blow the head. Yeah. I can't walk in there and ask this because the, the initial message was I'm coming yeah. here to get my games to play for the national team. But yeah. as we were doing well, if you guys ask and talk about something where, and really, truly, I, I wouldn't mind playing the game. The thing was, realistically, if I played for both parties, I could have, which I could have. It would have been literally play game, leave, travel the next day, play, you know, sit on the bench or play whatnot. It would have been back to back. So, but today, as you speak to me about this, man, I, uh, I, I definitely disappointed. Did that ever, did that ever happen to you throughout your career? Like I know on the Bunbury episode, he told us how he had a, he had to make a choice at one point. Like, did that ever hinder you in, in uh, Spain or in Germany playing with the national team and missing out on something like a coach that just said, screw Canada and stay here. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you go for a game, you come back and you're not, you're not fit. You're you're coming back with injuries and you know, you kind of lose the trust of the club. Right. Um, and then, you know, that's, that's the, that's the area where you're going to, you know, receive your paycheck. And yeah, I, I did sacrifice the national team. Um, I think I missed two gold cups with, uh, with Canada because I had to focus on my club and that was at Hanover when I wasn't playing uh, as much. And, and I realized, um, yeah, I need, I need to, I need to make my, my name in, in, in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. National team. So yeah, I missed, a, I missed a few camps with the, with the national team during my Hanover times. And, um, but then I guess moving forward, they I guess the UEFA or FIFA was able to you know arrange the schedules and and, and work with the change it up and exactly so at least match it up and no one's missing out on their on games and stuff like that. But but yeah, yeah I had to make that hard decision and uh, it's tough when you got to sacrifice one a country and a club. But towards yeah. the end of my career, I, I I wanted to do everything to obviously make a World Cup and that's why yeah. I committed to play all those games for for, for Canada. Yeah, so you retired from the Fury a year later right? You became assistant coach, head coach, GM, like the fastest rise in the history of <laughs> soccer from player to, uh, to GM. GM. But I want to start first with the assistant coach. There's been a lot of 
local Ottawa banter about Paul Dalglish. Was he like an evil genius or some sort of like, was he like a savant in some way? Like he, I feel like he was so good in his own head and on the chalkboard that it didn't. Cause I remember after some games, Steve and I would email each other. He would go on Twitter and you'd lo- you had lost like five, one, but he'd be like, we had 63 crosses compared to their four crosses. And he would go on and on and on. I can see it. But like, was it, was it weird working for him? It was new. <laughs> it was new for me. I mean, I, uh, I left, I literally left, I, w- I must have walked from the player's locker room into the coach's locker room. And it's like, it's, it's, it's like you're in a different world, different, mm. you know, and, and at that point, I just did my best to wrap my head around coach, the way coaches think in, in yeah. the season. Even the banter too, it's, it's different, you know, everything's different. But um, it's, it wasn't easy when you, you play with guys and then, you know, you got to be that guy on the other side and, you know, Yo, Julian, what's going on? You know, what, what, what's the coach's views? And you yeah. gotta you know, have the coach's back. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I respect Paul. I like, I like what he's done and stuff like that. You know, but I think there's a lot of things I learned from him, both good and bad. And and, and, and it allowed me to understand, okay, how can I help Ottawa? Period. You know, what are we doing to help this team? Uh, and it started to start from the locker room. It starts from just around the uh, the, the environment as a club itself. Like, what does Ottawa need? And you know, yeah. I. The, the moment I had that opportunity to become a head coach at GM, I knew right away. I said, okay, the first thing you got to make this Canadian club. It's very simple. And yeah. um, a lot of guys like, you know, people who are not Canadian coming into the club as a head coach, they're not, they're not thinking that way. They don't, they don't, under, they don't understand the areas that, that needs that attention. And, um, you know, they're yeah. just going to try to get results and get their people in. And fair enough, you know, Paul did what he had to do. Uh, but I definitely learned a lot on, on, on how, to to, uh, to to respect certain environments, and that's just from playing in different environments and learning a language, you know. So coming to Ottawa, you gotta you gotta think like a Canadian and and, and grow a club as a Canadian club, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So. Um. So my next question is kind of close to Steve and I, because Steve and I and our other uh, snob Jay there, we uh, we ran the Fury for six years, uh, the PDL when it was PDL. Yeah. So we were like the GM. Steve was the head coach. We all kind of did everything. No especially at the NASL level when you were doing it and in Canada in general, almost it's like, is it impossible to build a team with some chemistry and some, with the high turnover and the short contracts and like, you know, is it, it's, is it tough to build something sustainable when like 17 guys are on one year deals and then it's like 16 of them are gone and you're, you know what I mean? Like how can you build a culture from in the fury with such like an insane turnover so that my biggest play on that was making sure i just focus on the canadian market because i know i'll probably get most of the canadian players playing in the usl versus american players why am i going to go after american players when that you know it's one hard to bring them over they cost more money too you know because they, they everything's by the american dollar um so i had the confidence to build a good enough team to compete in the usl mm-hmm. uh just by you know, using predominantly Canadian players and then build around that. You, you then I think if it's an American guy coming into Canada, he's got to be a difference maker. He's got to be better yeah. than your average Canadian, you know, yeah. just a, a European guy or an African guy. So sprinkle, a, sprinkle them in. Yeah. Sprinkle them in. So that's, that was my philosophy. And, and I, and I felt I had enough um, resources to, to, to bring in uh, good enough quality players at a USL level to compete yeah. and, and, uh, you know, I thought we, I thought that's what we did. Um, you know, going into the, the last year, we were there where we, you know, we made the playoffs, and it was just about it was in the direction of getting better from that point because we had to rebuild. You know, we, we had to we had to 
uh, fill the holes and the gaps that, um, that, that, that happened from time yeah. left to, uh, to, uh, to, to the time that uh, Nick, Nicola was appointed. And um, there was a lot of things where we got to make this Canadian club. We got to make it attractive for Canadians. And, so what uh, happened? Like you, you're talking about making Canadian club. I'm all in. I'm hook, line and sinker. What happened with the fury? Like what, like why not the CPL if that was the goal? We, well, our, our plan was to have the CPL uh, as, as in, in the, in the project, you know, not maybe not from year one, but down the road, we weren't, we were working in that direction. So um, that was, that was the goal down the road is to get into CPL as, as Ottawa Fury. Uh, but yeah. I guess in a timely matter, you know, uh, other parties wanted it to happen sooner than, than, than later. And, uh, you know, on the political what side mess, of things. What a mess that was, eh? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I feel like I would have loved it. I maybe, maybe not even cause we worked for the fury, but like to have that continuity flowing into the CPL and now with the Atletico thing, there's, I feel like there's almost that missing, that missing link, but I, I know you're friends with, mista right the the yeah. coach yeah did he call you and ask you for like advice like should i do this can i do yeah. like you know was there any link there with that the only contact i well i had i i, I came across mista i went to the training session so i mean we we talked when they were already well into training um but um when initially it was in the, in the talks of the only person that contacted me at the time was jeff hunt and um you know i guess he had his ideas of having me involved, uh, you know, having a role in, in involved in the club. But, um, I mean, understandably, I, you know, Atletico getting people that they understand and trust and really want to grow up in their philosophy. Yeah. That, that, that's completely normal. So, um, but yeah, I'm in touch with me. We, we, we message each other every now and then, um, you know, I've, I've, I've seen him, uh, at, at the training grounds with his team and, you know, we, we both know if I ever need something, he needs something. I mean, it's, it's a quick phone call. There's no issues, but, I think for year one, after what they've done, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the right direction that they're going to where get, understand the league, do, understand the quality they're dealing with, um, and, and just, you know, know, know how to form that team going into uh, another, another season of CPL. So, but yeah, I mean, really and truly, I mean, for, the, for us to not be in the, in the league as a, as a team, as a theory, I mean, yeah, for sure, it, it, it's, uh, it is disappointing. Yeah, yeah, that's... So I want to give you a chance now to talk about, I'm going to, uh, 1812 FC Barry. Yeah. I was looking, researching, because I saw it on, uh, come up on, uh, on social media and everything. Like, now, you're, is this a community club that is currently in the process to apply to be a League One club with the eventuality of being a CPL club? Yeah. So what, what we're doing is, uh, you know, we formed a, a partnerships with the biggest club in, in the region, Barry Soccer Club. And what we've had now is a, an opportunity to um, uh, add a high performance uh, team that uh, we're applying, which we're working towards to and getting into, into League One as, uh, as, as that outlet for Barry Soccer Club, as well as uh, there's 17 other uh, club teams in the, in the Heronia region. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an untapped area. It's uh, north of, uh, of the GTA of, of York. And, um, you know, the more I learn about the uh, appetite for a high-performance team in, in, in the Barrie region from, from a player's perspective, fan, fan perspective, um, you know, I, th I think why not take that risk when I feel a lot of the markets, you know, the greater markets in the GTA have, uh, are already taken care of. And mm -hmm. uh, there, there's probably no wiggle room to even do anything in terms of uh, doing uh, uh, startup, startup teams. 
this is a this is a clean a clean shape that she we're working with right now. So being able to you know paint your own canvas and 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 start from scratch, uh, that's been a dream from for me. And working in the League One uh, is also a chance for me to now grow a successful League One team. And you know the more we start to see the CPL evolve and 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 uh, and, and, and and become its brand, I think now at that point you know that will be the long term objective is to hey if we could. Uh, do a great numbers in terms of, you know, people coming into the game, you know, winning the league on a regular basis and maybe we become a, an attractive uh, uh, option for, for the, uh, for the CPL to, for us to, to work with. So there's, there's lots of things we, we could come up with, but I don't, I, I like to work close to the grassroots. I like to work uh, uh, in terms of developing and, and keep creating the culture for soccer at all levels. And league one, I think is a, is a place that in, uh, in good shape, especially now that they're under the guidance of the CPL. Yeah. So here's my thought. Um, I don't want to brush over 1812 Barry because I think that's important and I want to push that for you. Yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap up like this. We, we do a wrap. I'm going to give you a rapid fire like we did with Bunbury. If you heard rapid fire and then a couple stupid questions Yeah. Sure. and then we'll end this episode and another time, let's say whenever you're free, we'll have like a part two and we'll dedicate that to FC Barry and youth development and have okay. that like as a, as a part two, so we can give it all sure. the attention it needs. And I think so, there's going to be people out there are going to say you two idiots didn't even ask them about the national team. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Julian, unfortunately for you, you're, you're, you're important and you need two hours with us idiots, not just one. <laughs> so that's, that's a curse. You're just going to have to live with. That's true. So, what I'm going to do here is just quickly whip you some questions um, that I want to know. And if the listeners want to know, I don't care because it's about <laughs> me. All right. <laughs> no, the 2007 gold cup semifinal against the U S does that wake you up at night? That offside goal that we all like broke our box TV sets yeah. with rabbit ears, like on the ground. Was that literally the worst experience in your professional career? Worst experience? Yeah. No. No. You want to? No. You, you know, you know what's worse? I imagine. Hmm. You oh know. yeah, yeah, the Honduras. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. We don't speak of that. Exactly. Oh, but I just like that goal, man. Like you guys were were going to win that tournament. You were going to win that tournament. I, I, exactly. I, I could put so much on it. We, I, I just felt when I go back to that that tournament. Um, it's it's one of those teams where on paper just that starting team i mean that that was yeah. our team that we were going to win that tournament we were going to world cup and it's like the moment that happened it just changed everything moving forward but that what an what an awesome team and an awesome run we had and yeah. if it wasn't for that that goal I mean, if, if you had var those days i mean can you imagine? yeah yeah you guys lit you literally would have won that tournament it still, it still makes me so angry yeah but I can imagine how you feel. I'm still <laughs> mad at like a oh. university game I played. I can imagine at that level, like, holy hell. No, that was, it burned, it, it, yeah. it killed, it killed. It still kills me to this day when you, I, I think I saw Carlos, Carlos Bocanegra yeah. uh, at one of the meetings and that's the first thing that comes to mind. I know he knows <laughs> the same thing, but we never talked about it. You could just see it in each other's eyes. Uh, yeah, you just slide you just slide them under the table or something like that? Yeah, it's just kind of. <laughs> oh, crazy. So, this is a question I know from every single Canadian soccer fan living to this day. I know you and your brother through this interview had like the best relationship in the universe. Did you 
try to get him to Canada for us, for me, for Mark Lapointe? Did you try to get him to Canada? <laughs> sure. I've had maybe I've, in the last, what are we now? Yeah, in the last maybe two weeks, I've probably had three different conversations. Oh, yeah? This topic, yeah. Wow. Or, yeah, people about this topic. So, um, listen, I, of course, my brother and I, we've always wanted to play together. And uh, we almost even played against each other in a, at a UEFA Cup game. And we were both injured in the stands watching our teams. Oh, no. Them. No way. I didn't know yeah. that. Yes. So, we always want to be on the pitch together. That has been our dream. And, um, and there was a moment where we thought it could have been Canada. And um, I did talk to him about it. He wasn't involved in the Dutch program at that time um, and felt it wasn't going to happen because, you know, he's having such a great season back to back with Swansea. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's when I got into his ear. Hey, what do you think of a, what, a summer with the Canadian national team at a gold cup? You know, and it's kind of like, yeah, sure. Why not? So for his sure, why not was nice to hear, but yeah, I, for me it was like yes, he's coming to the he's coming to Canada. Huh. So I've gone back to CSA now, Stephen really? Hart, and I say, guys, my brother's on board. No, they've, gone to, they've gone out to see him, talked to him about it. Um, and he's like, okay, 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 and uh, you know he, he hasn't obviously made a final decision, but for some reason there was a uh, someone had told me there was a, there was an interview with my brother wearing the the jacket. Oh, really? I didn't know that either. Yeah, I remember they were talking about on Sportsnet. And then um, unexpectedly, you know, he got, the he, call. He, he got the call to the Dutch national team and he calls me and says, I, Julian, I got the call to the Dutch national team. I was in a room Can't with no. Van Gaal, Kluivert, and Danny Blind. Like, I, these are the guys like, yeah. what do I say? I, and you know, you know what makes that legitimate and no Canadian fan can be pissed off? when you told us at the beginning that he had yeah. Dutch shirts in his room and that thing, like he had that Dutch connection probably before he watched a national team Canadian game. So there's no, you know, there's no I actually, hard feelings. I was curious if you'd ask that because when he, I agree with you, when you said Julian, he had a, a learned Dutch book when he was seven, like I was in jogging yeah. pants and like, I couldn't do anything when I was seven. <laughs> like I could, that's incredible. Yeah. It's, it, we're talking to each other in, in Dutch because you would hear Dutch uh, being used in Bill Culver. So yeah. we're using those terms when yeah. we play yeah. amongst ourselves. Crazy. Crazy. It was already in him from young end. It was done. It was, that, was, yeah. that, that was a dream. You, if you're sitting there watching the Euro 96 Holland and they get knocked out, the, they get knocked out to, I think, Croatia was it in penalty shots. And yeah. uh, he goes, he starts crying. He's crying watching Holland play in the 96 huh. Euro. When you yeah. see that, yeah, it's just yeah. at that moment. That's when I said, "Okay, let's get to work. We're, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna taking your, I'm taking your childhood from here on in. If we're gonna play for another country, I think." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like when you fall in love, you can't help who you fall in love with. Right? That's just <laughs> the way it is. Yeah. The best player you coached or played with on the Fury. <laughs> best player. Oh. I coached for. Or played with on the Fury. The best player that ever wore a Fury uniform that you were around. That's a tough one, actually. Richie, Richie Ryman. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The name I keep hearing. He was like, uh, he was, uh, yeah. he was Richie, a player. Me, right? I, I just saw, I just even saw a game the other day, and just that pass with the instep and the left foot, and gets it between lines. Like whenever <clears throat> yeah. I receive those type of balls from him, it, it, those passes I will tell him brings me back to Spain. Like those are the passes. Yeah. The, ah, know, the quality. Quality, yeah, yeah. just the uh, just oh man, he he was he was a beauty to play with. 
Yeah, yeah. he had that like <clears throat> Spanish passing with that Irish determination. That yeah, like yeah, that just, combination that's, was that's devastating. Oh man, it's he was he was great to he was great to play with and um, uh, also a great person and a great leader. He was great for the oh, locker room yeah. and um, you know he was uh, the gem. Yeah. Do you ever? watch do you ever watch the cpl and if so have you watched york nine and what do you think of jim brennan's green vest that he wears on the sidelines <laughs> that, yeah that was that around st patrick's day or just that one i don't know what it was but i remember watching it and thinking to myself this jimmy, is weird yeah. <laughs> i played with jimmy and uh normally he's, he does a good job dressing up he, he's got he's got style but uh I guess I guess it's uh, the passion that comes into play. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I would never. I don't. I don't wear green. If I wear green, maybe not. No, I don't think I would wear. Green. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of speaking of game day clothes, uh, is a big topic on our show. Are Pep Guardiola's game day clothes absolutely out of out of out of control and out of line? Like, what's he doing? Is that <laughs> is that for real? <laughs> Which one? When he looks like a, a bum? Is it the one? Yeah, with a cargo yeah. short, cargo pants and a dress shirt, a t-shirt. I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, like, yeah, is that yeah. offside? Yeah, they, I think I think in general they should just stick to suits. Yeah, stick to Thank suits you. or or. I got Julian Guzman on my side. Yeah. Or yeah. tracksuit, yeah. Tracksuit, yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite soccer book you ever read? Oh wow, favorite soccer book it would be the, the the Guinness of the Guinness of World Record for for soccer. Is that oh. that yeah. Really. Okay. Yeah. If you're walking in a dark alley in New York City, terrifying. Who do you want with you? Ian Hume or Paul Staltieri? Sure. Uh, Staltieri. Ooh. His, he's got an anger, eh? Like when he gets. Do you know a story about Paul Staltieri? His brother headbutted me and broke my nose in an indoor tournament like 20 years ago. Really? And since then, I'm like. I love Paul Staltieri. Well done to his brother for shutting me up and my big mouth. Yeah, yeah, Paul. Yeah, I, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever seen his seen his teeth if he's if he smiled. I don't even know if you know if he smiled. So. He's like Richarlson. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Is um is Patrice Bernier the least revered and most underused, underrated Canadian player? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's the. He's, uh, Wow. I, I, I look at the roster. I'm like, why wasn't he more involved? I, I don't get, he was so good until he was like 70. It was insane. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think I, I'm the reason to that too. <laughs> There's times I look at him on a bench and we're playing the same position. And it's like, yeah, I better be playing. Cause if you're, if you're playing before me, there's a problem, but he was a great player to play with. But that's yeah. what I mean. Like, how good and, would you two have been in a four-two-three-one? Like you two sitting in front of the back, like. But then, but then you have a Tiba too, right? Yeah, you yeah. got a center back. I always wanted him at center back. <laughs> that's, you know, that's me back. playing championship manager right there. Right? <laughs> what was the most hostile country you ever went to? And it was Canada, like in qualifiers. With the national team, right? Yeah. yeah. Hostile, uh, it has to be Honduras. Really? They're, they're big time over there? Hondur Honduras, between Honduras and Panama, but... Uh, and Panama, eh? Well, yeah, I mean, those places, like, you, you, when you look at just, you can't sleep at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning because they're doing a, a block 
party in front of your hotel and huh. then you're waking up with your eyes that you, can, you, can barely, you can't even barely open them and then you have a game that day for a woke up qualifier wow um, the honduras one was scary too because i remember when we lost that eight one game there somebody had gotten killed they weren't part of the national team but it was a canadian that that uh, was murdered or something and mm-hmm. i was like man th- these countries like honduras where that's they made it a national holiday that game against us yeah, yeah. make sure everybody's on board we're, we're the stadium of forty thousand. We're making that eighty thousand somehow. Yeah, yeah, that's, and that's that's exactly what we felt when we when we um got there at the field. And I was like, wow, this is going to be a long day. Yeah, no kidding, <laughs> crazy. Did you ever watch a CFL game while you were here in Ottawa, or can we still make fun of it here on this show? <laughs> you can make fun of it all you want, but I, I got a chance to watch the Great Cup Finals at uh, at TD Play. So yeah, yeah. that was my, you know that was my first funny. my first game. People often like myself i don't watch it ever but everybody i talk to that's been said it's like one of the best sporting events they go to oh i heard it uh, that well for me i was blown away by that and it's funny because when when we were um when we were interviewing nikola popovich we brought him to that game and i just love the stuff that he was telling me about oh man we're gonna do the same thing with the fury we're gonna get you know we're gonna get this attendance and that i was like nikola man i've never seen anything like this myself So he goes, no, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get it there. And I just love the, the, the ambition. But it was a great sales pitch to bring him to a final of the great uh, That's true. <laughs> yeah. So uh-huh. here's the, the last rapid fire. And then we'll hit a few would you rathers and a quick quiz. And we'll let, you get, uh, we'll let you get out of here. This is one I've asked like our last five guests. And I've got a no for everyone. I'm dying for you to say yes. Did you watch Tiger King on Netflix? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, you're not winning it, Mark. Oh, it's 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 killing me. Have you heard of Tiger King? Yeah, I heard of Tiger. Yeah, I heard of Tiger King. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> You're just smart <laughs> enough not to watch it. Right now, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Steve are the only dummies that sat down for eight hours and watched that. <laughs> he was doing something oh. better with his life. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's exactly. I, 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 it. Watched, I watched the weird one. I, I I don't watch many documentaries. If it's, I didn't even watch the soccer ones. But I watched a weird one called this Christopher Watts one, and I was like, ugh. This, this, have you seen it? Wow. No, no, never. Yeah, I just, it was, it's always this stuff. Like, now when I hear about tigers eating people, stuff like, I don't know. <laughs> I want to go to sleep on you guys. I want to. <laughs> uh-huh. Would you rather have won the Champions League with Deportivo or made the World Cup for Canada? World Cup. Wow. Yeah. I knew I, that was an easy one. Legends, if you get that, for sure. Soft ice cream or the regular hard stuff? Hard stuff. Wow. Me too. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm always out. I'm watching Tiger King eating soft ice cream. Nobody <laughs> likes that. Nobody likes anything I like. Okay. Eh? If you had to drink only one thing for the rest of your life, orange juice or Dr. Pepper, which one would it be? Oh, I was hoping for wine, but um, <laughs> I'll do orange juice. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Who would you rather as your roommate, Marouane Fellaini or Sean Dyche? <laughs> Sean Dice? Yeah, the Burnley manager. Oh. That's going to make our other hope. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Now I'm going to hit the quiz. Steve against Julian. What year, Steve? What year was Deportivo La Coruña founded? Oh, that's a good question. Now, do I just lay a duck hoping to keep him happy and get him on my old timers team? (laughs) <laughs> or go for no, it. I'll go for you it. Go for it. You okay, Deportivo La Coruña were founded in 1897. 
I, top of my head, is he right? Because I, I, if he's right, no, you're next. Head. You're next. You got to throw your guess out. Oh, okay. 1908. Wow, Julian almost nailed it. 1906. <gasps> no Steve way. Been defeated. Wow. <laughs> that was that was fantastic. So yeah, I want to wrap it up again by saying <clears throat> I would love to do a part two if you have time or like if you get off here and send us a letter from your lawyer saying, don't ever air this, you idiots. <laughs> or you write us back and say, like, let's do a part two sometime. We'll hammer it in there. So, like, I would love to do it. Like, I was telling Steve off air that it's crazy that you're even talking to us because the profile you have and that we've watched growing up, not growing up, we're the same age, watched as, you know, <laughs> armchair quarterbacks, like, you are the guy we always watched and supported. And we're like, this guy's the best Canadian player of all time. Like my son has your shirt. Like oh, I lived for, for you and the national team. And to be talking to you here is like, it's like a dream. So like, thank you for taking the time. The best part of it is your humility to come on here with us and to run Barry and to take uh, Ottawa Fury and to, I, I, it's just like, that's why you're different. And that's why you made it. And that's simple for the people listening. So thank you for that. Oh, no, thank you so much for that, Mark. And also, Steve, you know, you guys have been great. And anything for Canadian soccer, just to get the message out there. And, uh, you know, you guys, it's, it's, you know, Ottawa will always be a part of my heart. The Fury will always be a part of my heart. And, um, you know, I, this is why I'm still here in Ottawa. Like, I'm not planning to move back anytime soon. And, um, yeah, for, any, for anything that needs to be done for, to, to support the game, you, you, guys, you guys give me a shot. I'm always there. Thanks, Julian. very much for listening today if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast and of course leave us a five-star review if you want to get in touch you'll find us on instagram at soccer snob one on twitter at soccer snobs one by searching for us on facebook and of course on the web at www.soccersnobs.ca backslash listen you can leave us your opinion give us any comments and if that's where you want to get nasty feel free to do so